0: Ben Klang joins us to discuss the 34% week-on-week increase in the Cape Size Index and how Pei delves into why after a three-month low, iron ore experts are expressing concerns and why we might need to expect more bad news coming from Beijing. All this and more on Freight Up. Freight Up! Hello and welcome back to Freight Up. My name's Fernanda and I'll be your host as we navigate the seas of freight and commodities. Today, I'm joined by Davide.
1: Hi, Fernanda. Glad to be back. So uh, oh. this week we have our usual roundup of the latest commodity news. And then now that the Chinese New Year holidays have all finished and the iron ore market has slumped towards the $100 level, Pei, our analyst from the Shanghai office, will give us some insight on the current negative sentiment which is surrounding this key ferrous product. On Dry Freight, we explore the reasons why the Cape market has been the week-on-week mover of note with Ben Klang our colleague from the Copenhagen office and last but not least on the oil markets we have Archie Smith that is giving us his usual update well let's get to it then so let's have a quick look at this week's commodity news so the European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde spoke at the European Parliament plenary debate on the ECB annual report The head of the ECB expects the eurozone inflation to slow further as the impact of past upward shocks fades and tight financing conditions will help to push down inflation. Speaking of inflation, the annual rate in Japan fell to 2.2% in January, which is down from 2.6% in the prior month. This is the lowest since March 2022. U.S. durable goods orders month-on-month hit a minus 6.1% in January, which is more than market expectations of a 4.5% fall, which uh, follows also a 0.3% in December. Also, this is the most substantial monthly decline in durable goods order since April 2020.
0: And in other macro news, Qatar is set to increase its energy exports. So Doha has announced a multi-billion dollar investment in LNG, which should bring production to 124 million tons by 2030 an increase of 85% to current levels. More than half of UK retailers and exporters have been affected by the disruption to Red Sea trade from Houthi revel attacks on cargo ships, according to a survey by the British Chamber of Commerce.
1: The US Department of Treasury has imposed sanctions on Russia's largest shipping company, called Sovcomflot, last Friday. The firm has also been targeted by the Office of Foreign Asset Control and has been sanctioned by Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and is also under certain EU restrictions. Lastly, VAL is expecting to reach annual iron ore production of 340 to 360 million tonnes by 2026, as it is continuing its expansion projects following recent stabilisation. So let's uh, have a quick look at the market movements of the week, Tuesday to Tuesday. Cape size 5TC, we have seen an increase of 33.8% equal to $6,756. Panamax 5TC from $15,352 a day to $14,225 a day equals to a minus 7.3% decrease week on week. Supermax 10TC to $12,416 a day to $13,416 a day equal to uh, $1,000 up, 8%, and the size 70C, $10,732 a day to $11,997 a day, an increase of 11.8%. Looking at the iron ore market, iron ore 62% went down 3%, $3.75, sink 380 from $428.70 metric done, to four hundred and twenty-six point sixty six dollars per metric ton minus zero five percent, single five, six fourteen sixty-five to six sixteen eighty-five, plus zero point four percent, and on the steel market US Hot Roth Coil is going from nine hundred and twenty-five dollars to eight hundred and sixty dollars, a minus seven percent equal to sixty-five dollars.
0: Let's talk fuel oil with the People's Broker. All right, Archie. So it's the middle of IE week. You're about halfway through and you're still standing. Yes, yes.
2: I think I'm managing all right. Ask me the same question Friday morning. Might have a different answer.
0: It might be a bit different. We'll see. Bloomberg yeah. might do you in tonight, huh?
2: Yeah, well, um, I'll try and catch the end of the conference. But obviously, um, you know, Luke's traveling, Sam's out. So I've got to be there to cover the desk. And then uh, I'll certainly be at the, uh, the drinks and refreshments after.
0: Fantastic! So operating on like you know ten percent liver efficiency, you still manage to write your weekly oil report, which yes, is an impressive. To get it through feat.
2: yesterday, yeah.
0: And there's some interesting stuff in there. So, I guess the first thing that really stands out is what's going on with Brent. I mean, I guess what's not going on yeah, with
2: yeah, yeah. It's 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 been pretty range bound as it has been for the majority of the year, and it's just it's just a case of. Bullish and bearish factors are really tugging against each other at the moment. You know, kind of on the upside, you've got ongoing Hamas attacks. Uh, I mean, what we're seeing is if an attack actually lands, i.e. a missile is hitting a ship, we normally do see a kind of little spike in the price. Uh, And then obviously more recently announced uh, in the last couple of days that um, OPEC are looking to extend their production cuts, uh, certainly into Q2 and potentially into the remainder of the year. Again, that's kind of another upside factor it's the same kind of narrative on on the downside you've got poor demand outlook uh, especially from china i mean ch- you know chinese demand really dictates the these markets ch- china and us mainly but but china's the most important one and their oil demand is forecasted to slow down this year just to just to 1% growth which is about 15 million barrels per day i believe and, you know, when you've got these, you know, these factors on one side and these factors on the other side, Brent's really kind of stuck between the two. So that's why we've seen such a kind of flat Brent level this year so far. It'll take a major incident for to, to break out of those range levels as it stands.
0: So does that mean that you expect this kind of trend to continue on into the future or what are your thoughts on that? Looking
2: at the factors I've just discussed, yes, we can probably expect the the Brents remain fairly range-bound. You know, a lot of people kind of are up-talking the conflict in the Middle East. The conflict in the Middle East that's happening right now isn't really an oil problem. Israel, Gaza, neither are big kind of players in oil or, or have much influence on the oil market. Yes, the, uh, obviously the Hamas bombings, they're a hindrance to oil, but I real kind of supply side factors are yet to be changed you know obviously there's a lot of ships just going a longer route around yes it's logistically it's a bit tricky but the oil's still getting where it needs to be right so I think certainly for the prompt future uh, I can see it remaining like this but you know the only things that can really change which no one can sort of predict is for example you know one of these big big players, these big forces gets more involved in the in the Middle East conflict, you know, if, if Iran do step in or the US does take more of a stance, then that's when we'll really see a change. But, you know, that this this conflict's been going on, what, since October and that's yet to happen. So I think that, that's my view anyway.
0: We have a fan of yours who's joining us in the booth today. And that's Davide, who has a few <laughs> questions of his own. I'm a fan so, of his. Davide I'm a fan I of know. his.
1: Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm all right, Fernanda. <laughs> Hi, Archie. Thank you very much. Big fan as well. Uh, so um, you mentioned a very interesting point. I mean, like as someone who's a, with an international relations background, I'm looking also at the effects that and of, of the geopolitical tensions in the old markets. Mm-hmm. I find them fascinating. Mm-hmm. So I was reading the news and it seems that the consensus for the OPEC plus watchers, it seems that, as you mentioned, the cuts were going to continue. Probably in the next quarter, but like you mentioned in your latest report, that the supply is probably going to be balanced by the U.S. So, what's your opinion? How how do you see the market evolving in this regard? I think the
2: OPEC cuts. If we look in recent history, uh, so kind of the second half of 2023, when you know these cuts were getting announced, more cuts were getting rolled out, etc., etc. Obviously, with OPEC's aim to be to support price. They didn't really work. Market kind of reacted upon the news, and then within a day, we saw the market had, had rebalanced. So I think yesterday crude rose about a dollar uh, on the back of the further OPEC cuts news. But I just I just don't think it's enough really, and especially as you mentioned against you know rampant U.S. production at the minute. Um, I know they kind of they slowed down a little bit at the beginning of the year um, because there was a lot of extreme cold weather. I think in like Dakota and around there and that kind of hindered a lot of production. But I mean, looking at the end of last year, December, they were at kind of record levels that any country has ever produced. I actually read at the end of last year that the US was exporting the same amount of uh, oil and distillates and condensates that Russia or Saudi Arabia were actually producing. So yes, I think US obviously have stepped up so especially yeah, obviously Russia used to be a major supplier for Europe, and amid the sanctions, US have, have stepped up majorly. There was supply balance out. I mean, it it, it might even go the other way. what one might argue. You know, investment banks have been reducing their oil forecasts from hundred dollars a barrel, one hundred and ten dollars a barrel for twenty twenty four down. You know, some down to kind of the eighty
1: dollars per barrel mark now.
2: Yeah, you know, it'd be it'd be an interesting one to see how that plays out.
1: Okay, actually, that's that's quite interesting now. I want to ask you a question, which is also like a nice way to introduce our latest article that we've published on LinkedIn and then our listeners, if they don't only want to listen, but they also want to read something interesting, they should go back to our LinkedIn page on Freight Investor Services and then have a look at the latest article that talks about global spare capacity. Mm -hmm. Now I didn't know what it meant but it is the volume of production that can be initiated within 30 days and sustained for a minimum of 90 days. So this is what global spare capacity is. 75% of this spare capacity is concentrated in a few countries, which are Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and the United Arab Emirates. You have mentioned the crisis in the Red Sea, the conflict in the Middle East more in general, My question, still on the international relations side, Hmm. is the market pricing the geopolitical risk appropriately in your opinion or not? It's a tough one. I mean, I
2: still stand by the fact that I think people are up-talking the Middle East situation too much. I did read Miguel's article, which he kind of summarized saying that crude is being traded at arguably a discount. I'm actually going to go against him. I think it's maybe too expensive. $80, which is roughly where it is now, $80 a barrel is not cheap crude. The only reason people think it's cheap crude is because of recent history when we hit, what, 139? You know, days after Putin invaded Russia. Because that's kind of so recent, people see $80 a barrel and think, oh, it's cheap, it's cheap. I don't think it's cheap. You know, if if we was sitting around kind of $50, 60 a barrel, then yes, I think you, would, you, you might have that argument. So I certainly do think in the in the crude futures market that the uh, geopolitical risk it is priced in to the sense that when things happen, we're not seeing much change in price. If a ship is struck, we see we do see it tick up a little bit, but you know nothing worth writing home about. So is it priced in? Yes, is it priced in correctly? I, I think it's all kind of hot air. I think people talk it up more than it actually is. you know I, I'll go back to what I said earlier you know, Israeli conflict and and what's going on in the Red Sea isn't much of an oil problem, like what Russia to Ukraine was, you know, Russia being the main supplier of oil to Europe, and then all of that getting cut away, that's an oil problem. Okay, That's my opinion. Thank you very much, Archie.
0: (laughs) So there you go, Archie. Thank you so much. You're amazing as always and a gift to the people.
2: Thank you very much. It's been amazing being back on with two brilliant co-hosts
1: now as well. So, uh, Thank you very much. And next on the podcast, we delve a little bit deeper on what's happening into the dry freight markets and uh, is joining us our senior business development executive from the Copenhagen office, Ben Klang. Ben, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. So thanks again for joining us. As we have outlined in the index section at the beginning of the, this episode, we have seen a general increase across most of the dry freight markets.
3: Yes, exactly. And, and this was especially true in the Cape size market, which rallied last Wednesday amid significant activities in both basins, with FFA rates trading in higher and large volumes. Uh, The positive sentiment persisted throughout the rest of the week, despite CAPE's iron ore shipments falling by 17.8% to 23.2 million tons uh, due to the decreased volume uh, destined for China. And despite the, the weekly cargo volumes being in negative territory, coal shipments on the CAPE vessels provided good support, having jumped to nearly 8 million tons following the growing shipments over the past three weeks. And, you know, in terms of fixture, all three majors were actively seeking iron ore uh, cargoes in the Pacific. The key C5 iron ore route, West Australia to China, uh, in the first half of the week, was fixed at 9.30 to 9.65 for mid-March loading dates. And as the week progressed, C5 gave further tractions amid a growing cargo list and was paid at 10.35 and then at 11.50 for 8th to 10th of March. And moreover, more vessels departed from North China since previous adverse weather conditions forced some ports closures. Additionally, a market uh, participants kept a close eye on the development of the Cyclone Lincoln in Western Australia. Another iron ore cargo from TRMT from Qindao was fixed at $8 for the 2nd to 4th of March. Uh, sentiments in the North Atlantic also showed positivity with tight tonnage re- reported in South Brazil and West Africa. And then interest on the C3 routes, Tubero uh, to Guindao, uh, was evident from midweek, with fixtures from late March loading dates fixed higher from $24 for 14th to 20th of March to twenty five seventy five dollars for the 20th to the 30th of March. And then in the FFA Cape uh, size market, last Monday opened strong, uh, yet as the afternoon approached, uh, market quieted down, leaving us at opening levels along the curve. Uh, Meanwhile, C5 saw good size trading with 775 KT in total trading. The market opening on Tuesday with March trading at 21,750 a number of times and then at 21,850. Aggressive selling followed on these rates, selling at 21,500, March being sold down to as low as uh, 20,000 and a quarter. And a bullish day on Wednesdays, March and April traded up to 23,000, and then 25,750, while Q2 and Q3 both reached $26,000. An extraordinary day for uh, on, on CAPES uh, on Thursday as Q2 traded up to 26,500, before most of uh, Europe woke up. Uh, March got paid up to a high of $25,750. Q3 traded at and a quarter. Q4 traded up to $26,750 and, and reached up to $27,000. Well, Friday saw MOTS trade up to $28,000, while Q3 traded up to $29,250. And then Cape sold off on Monday after rally last week. March uh, sold down to as low as $25,000 and Q2 uh, down to 27000 and a quarter.
1: And speaking of volume, it seems that this week has also been very good, right?
3: Yes, it has. Uh, the FFA uh, market last week, so good volume. We had the highest trading volumes of the year with a total trading volume of 92 2,800 lots. And among vessel size, Cape Futures dominated this, uh, the majority of this action with over 10,000 lots traded per day last uh, Thursday and Friday, uh, averaging 8,200 lots changing hands daily. Uh, Panamax uh, closely followed with approximately 4,870 lots traded daily while Supermax saw 1,740 lots traded. Option trading volume also set a new record with 630 lots cleared in CAPES and 5,920 lots in Panamax. And there was also a decent trading activity observed in the uh, voyage routes uh, throughout last week with 671 million tons of C5 and 200 KTs of C3 cleared. Uh, with the main interest focusing on March and Q4 contracts.
1: Thank you very much for the roundup of the markets, Ben. So if anyone from Copenhagen or the wider you, do you have any other questions about our markets or our service offering? Ben is your man and then you can reach him at, at freightinvestor.com. Ben Klang, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much.
3: Thank you very much, you.
0: Now it's time to catch up on all your Ferris complex news with Hao Pei. How was Chinese New Year?
4: Oh, it was really nice. We uh, have a lot of fun with the firecrackers and fireworks, but it was also exhausted. I feel exhausted as well.
0: What Can you tell us about what's been going on since the break for Chinese New Year?
4: In short, the downstream recovery on construction sites after Chinese New Year was slower. Compared to the past three years, if we look at the average numbers, at the same time, steel mills were very cautious buying raw materials because of the steel making loss at negative 100 to uh, 150 yuan per ton. So there were different stories saying big buyers previously were starting to taking out some long positions, but they are rumors. We're not supposed to say who is doing that, but uh, it's all over the market. And port inventories grow like 4.56 million tons in a week during Chinese New Year, which is an amazing number. Well, let me tell you about the average number is only about 1 million to 1.5 million tons in average during that period. But it's like four to five times bigger this year. It's hitting a historic record. And in addition, that is during no frozen impact on port, the ports is running normal operations. The evacuation logistics are all good. And the shipment during February, the entire February is really high. In particular, if we look into the Australia shipment from during February, compared with the last couple of years, because usually in February, we have a lot of impacts from either port side or cyclones or raining, everything none of them show up this year, February. So we're potentially seeing a higher arrivals by late February. We'll see a lot of arrivals of iron ore in late February, as well as in early March. If we trace back on the previous podcast we did, or the previous reports in January and February, I reckon that the only conclusion we have is that iron ore is overvalued. So for commodities, I mean, overvalue doesn't always mean a timing of shorts, but it should come up several weeks after a while, while time, it's it, it must go down to correct its overvalued overvalue uh, portion. And in other words, it's easier for us to see extreme conditions if the commodity is high value for several months. And as a high vol- volatility product in particular, for the current three years, iron ore has a higher volume than oil. So it is unusual to see a fast grow and drop. As a result, other commodities on value-wise looked more attractive compared to iron ore. So I think those are all reasons that contribute to a sharp drop for iron ore market from my point of view.
0: So what factors are you paying extra close attention to in terms of a more long-term prospect or in terms of a more long-term vision? Kyle?
4: I, I think market participants started to get be honest, started get less sensitive to micro stimulus or any bad news since there are too many of it during the past four or let's say at least past three months. There are lots of stimuluses and at the same time a lot of bad news coming together. So I know mean, used to be derived from the macro news up and down or at a point of time it's going in line with the equities, but but I think it's time for Arena to leave the macro markets for a few weeks and going back to the fundamental side. If we talk about macro side, all the news and stimulus, I think most of the markets are still expecting more of details hit the ground on the housing markets. And the two biggest events are one of is uh the FOMIC meeting in US. So it's the first monetary meeting over the year to see if there's any expectation change. And then they will take a different look at the valuation of iron ore or other dollar set of commodities. The other one, probably more important than the iron ore market, is the two sessions, the bureau in China, coming in the early of March. Uh, and the market participants would like to see if there's any big change on the housing market. And I think in the long run, I think the recovery of downstream environment is not easy to go back to the go to the glories in 2021 or 2022 or even last year because a clear picture of house market in China is sizing down. Even some of the house developers or some of the local governments is saying that it's trying to persuade that they're using better qualities on the uh, new buildings and infrastructures, but that doesn't mean she will use more of them. The size, the quantity is going down. That's, I think that that's pretty, that's a long trend. And at the same time, the boom of India steelmaking would take at least five years or even eight years to catch up with the size of China. Vietnam is facing energy risk, so it's quite difficult for them to pick up a high projection during 2024. So in the long run, if Let's say if China left, if China cut like 5% of capacity, is still making, no one is able to fill this big hole, which could result in the correction on the iron ore valuation in the long run. So I guess, I guess in the long run, I think the $116 for iron ore is still way overvalued. I think I'm expecting good news from Beijing in March, but I'm also not convincing that even good news coming down, a lot of strategies coming out, I still think the iron, iron ore market will be, in average, the average month of iron ore uh, price should be lower than the past three years.
0: Well, that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, did you know that we have a LinkedIn page? If you didn't, then make sure to give us a follow and get signed up for our app, FIS Live, to make sure that you never miss any and commodity analysis from FIS. Thanks again for joining, and we'll see you on the next episode of Freight App.